Welcome to the Godcasts. Well, hi there, everyone, and welcome back to this pilgrim's uh, journey. <laughs> Apologies again for Dave's grumpiness at the start of yesterday. There was just no need for it, really. Hopefully, he's in a bit of a better mood for for this one, um, but we'll see. We'll see how we go. So, Dave, we're headed for who? Indeed, we are. We're going to who? Good morning, John. Hello, everybody. Um, no, I should we be good. saying good morning. That's the. Question. No, I'm saying good morning to you, John. Because they'll be. And hello to everybody, everybody else. Okay, that well, then that was very clever, and I've just spoken it was, over it for no reason. But, yeah, and I was feeling really positive and happy, and now I'm just. Oh, good, good. Well, let's no, let's stay with that. <laughs> the time just goes quicker when you are. <laughs> Uh, Dave, I was thinking as we were talking um, about sort of yesterday's um, reflections about change and pilgrimage and how journeys change us. And um, there's a quote, and I don't know where it's from. Uh, so if anybody does, please let me know. Uh, but I think the quote says, you'll, you'll pick up from this, I love quotes. Um, if you journey far enough, you'll eventually meet yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I I like that because I recognise from, I, I mean I've never done a formal sort of pilgrimage, but I, I've I've recognised that there's been journeys I've taken that have been spiritual in nature, um, both physically and uh, spiritually, um, and there's something about the fact that when you spend that long on the road, you spend time away from others, away from the familiar, away from the routine that you can't help but reflect on who you are. You spend time with yourself, I guess. Yeah, um, and yeah, spend time with yourself. And we, we mentioned yesterday this thing about taking on other people's burdens, often in leadership, that's a reality. But I think it can be in life in general. Where we can surround ourselves with so much stuff and so many other people and so many things and so much emotional stuff too, mm. that we lose sight of who we are. Mm. Um, and sometimes in a sort of fairly selfless way we try to push our own needs or things uh, backwards i i was in ministry for in church ministry for i think about 15 16 years uh, across three churches and stepping away from it was quite a struggle for me a year and a half ago as i started to realize that there was something different that god wanted me to do um and and yet something amazing happened for me in that time and it was that um when i moved back down to south wales where i am now and to this area um, near Caffili, i started to rediscover me mm. um and i started to have an opportunity to, to sort of find some of the bits of me that had been lost um, and and by that, what I mean is for, for a long time, I'd been Reverend Pam, the Baptist minister, the minister from Bethel Church, the, the Baptist minister that does this thing in the city with the homeless, the Baptist minister who goes into the church. And David Mann had kind of vanished a little bit. Um, and what I've discovered in the last couple of years is, is, is rediscovering me finding some more of me, some of the things that I used to enjoy, I'm able to enjoy again. Um, and some of those things that I stopped doing were probably choices just at a time and things like that. But some of some of the heart of me 
that got gets a little bit lost when you you just immerse yourself into a role or a, a responsibility. I think it's something that can happen as parents. Mm. I think when we become parents, we necessarily set aside some of the things that we like doing or some of the things that we might want to do because for the next we imagine for the next sort of 18 years we've got children to look after we discover it's about 50 years i think that we probably have to look after them um but we we've got responsibilities for other people and those responsibilities sort of trump our desires our wants our wishes and that's not that's not a bad thing that is part of the responsibility of parenthood and i sadly i think that sometimes what i see in society is that people become parents but don't want to give up their their sort of identity and i need still to do this i still need me even in marriage i think sometimes there's a case where but i still need to be me and I'm not saying being me isn't important or being you isn't important. But when we step into new relationships or we become parents or we take on responsibilities, we set aside at some of us some an hour needs in order to serve. Um, and so it's been quite interesting for me now to have this space to rediscover me. Um, and I felt, I think, you know, over the last year and a half, what I found is it's sort of, releasing me to do other things for God and uh, in ministry. So it's not that I've stopped having that job or those responsibilities or any sort of purpose for God, and it's just about me. It's a, it was refreshing to find that space. I did that on the pilgrimage. It was refreshing to find me there. And, and I understand that, that quote about if you walk long enough, you'll find yourself. You do need to put yourself in a place where you can set aside all those other things, those distractions, all those, all those sort of disguises you dress yourself in mm. as minister, mum, dad, husband, wife, whatever it is, mm. which you can put on to help hide who you are. Mm. And you can do that purposely, deliberately, just so you don't have to look at yourself. Mm. Uh, I'm just waiting for a comment there. But, I'm, yeah. Try, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going there. I mean, there's, there's many... <laughs> Uh, but I think you're right. I think one of the unique things as well uh, about ministry is, is not just it, that it can be a busy or burdened life. It's um, it's a very public life. Yeah. And um, both because you are available um, uh, for people and you want to be available. That's not um, uh, that's not something, you know, I say glibly, you know, we, we, mm, we want to be definitely. there. Uh, but also because of the way in which ministry tends to function, um to to share what you feel God is saying honestly often means sharing some of the struggle as well some some of the personal um sort of grappling some of the personal journeying personal growth uh with the with the church um and so the, the it feels like people know you in a way that you don't know them sometimes you know they um they, they've heard you share you know a few times in ministry uh and people who are very new to the church if they've engaged with it they don't feel like they've got a purchase on you um and that can be very odd that can be very strange in terms of um people just 
and sometimes it could be like a flippant comment about an illustration you've given um and sometimes that could be because they've connected with it deeply but other times you think hang on that, that's a quite a personal thing i shared there um and you have that and i don't have anything mm. you know, i don't i don't know you in that way um and so um yeah particularly i guess in sort of larger churches uh that can be a very um odd experience of being known uh well and being known deeply but actually only knowing a few people that you've journeyed with at that same level yeah yeah that is part of the i think as you say the the privilege but the price of that public ministry um, we talked a little bit before about how you can be uh, in a crowd of people but quite lonely mm, mm. Um, and that goes with the job a little bit and there's something else i think that happens which well in my reflection that i think can happen is that when you when you get into church ministry into leadership mm. and one of your responsibilities is to be preparing sermons messages whatever you want to call them and so daily you're getting into the scripture and reading it with the purpose of kind of trying to draw stuff out to share with others and to create these um, these messages and hear what God wants to say. There can be uh, a thing that happens where you stop properly reading the scriptures for yourself mm. and applying it for yourself. And I, I, I remember the first couple of years for sure, of ministry i think i would just sort of kidded myself that yeah i was reading the bible every day and that was true and it remains true i was looking at scripture every day but i wasn't really doing it properly in, in a personal way and the consequence of that can be that your own spiritual journey gets stopped you, you stop growing at a personal level there can be you know there can be value in hearing what it is that you are preparing to share with everybody for sure um, but unless you properly still make time for your own mm. readings, your own reflection, your own time, then you can start slipping a little bit there. This pilgrimage gave me that opportunity to really practice that again. This time now that I have, where I don't have to prepare sermons for people and and be thinking about church meetings or prayer meetings, I can spend my time daily doing personal reflections and get you know rebuilding some of those things you know examining some things that have perhaps been been left behind for a while i remember hearing a while ago about um a minister was retiring uh and known for being a very passionate preacher and um he was doing a, a sort of a q a with his church as he was coming to retirement and uh, somebody asked him, how, how do you stay so passionate? How do you maintain that? And he said, well, every day I read the Bible until it speaks to me. So I don't read a chapter. I don't read a I, know, I read it until it says something to where I am. And because of that, I've never lost the um, conviction that the Bible speaks and can speak to people. Um, and I, I just thought, yeah, how many times do we say we're reading the Bible, but our eye is just drifting down the page? And words are words are being read, um, uh, and yet there hasn't been that moment when it has actually yeah, yeah. spoken to us. But we've stopped because we've done the chapter, you yeah, know, yeah. or we've done the ten minutes, or whatever it is. Um, and I don't think it's the only answer. 
because uh, even that I guess could become formulaic but uh, I just love that sort of insight that I read it till it speaks to me uh, in order that um, I have that conviction this is going to speak to someone today yeah that's, that's a really interesting way to look at it I've, I've been there hmm. and there you know read the passage for today hmm. sort of looked at it and thought mm, okay whatever yeah, yeah. get on with something else now and yeah. that's quite an interesting way to reflect on it mm-hmm. cool um we've not really got on to today yet have we well i thought i was thinking as we were talking actually that we haven't even mentioned who yet but it's kind of interesting we've been talking about meeting yourself mm-hmm. at the time when we arrive at who it's a little yeah. subtle wordplay yeah. is, that, is that what this was all about <laughs> Who was at who? I was. I know, but uh, I found myself there. You were at who? I wasn't at who, but no. other people were at who? Yeah. You travelled um, to who? Other people live at who? Yeah. Although who is quite interesting, because the church is miles from the village. Mm. Mm. Uh, we, we got there, and the route, so Abigail's still with me, and the route was kind of like, well, we should be close soon and sort of wandering through fields and you just find the church surrounded by fields wow. in the middle of nowhere. Lovely wow. little church. When we got there, there, there was a couple there who um, we were going to be staying with and they were uh, clearing up the church. It had been um, used for a wedding and there's all the flowers and things. And it was beautiful, really lovely little church. <laughs> and um, we, we sort of chatted to them a little bit whilst we were cleaning stuff up and then headed back to their place. And they went off to do some things. So we walked from the church to our house. And it's a couple of miles down this very narrow lane, single track lane, very bumpy, lots of potholes until you get to a road and then you get on the road and eventually you end up in the village. And from what I could understand talking to them, quite a long time ago, many centuries ago, the the village moved. Um, Quite possibly because of things like uh, plague or black death. Yeah, or because of flooding in the area. So the village that was there had moved up to a place called Who Common. Mm. Um, and that's now where the village was that the church served. Mm. And, and I was thinking about how easy it would have been for people in the village to not even know that the church was there mm. um, and to have no real connection with the church because it was so distant. Um, but what was quite striking was that it had a, there was a really good relationship between the community and the church. Mm. Um, you know, there were, there were no toilets there. Going up the lane, you were almost inevitably going to have to turn around or reverse at some point if mm-hmm. somebody came the other way and mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but the church really serves the community and the community supports the church. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I was really encouraged by that and how this small church community was finding ways to be relevant in its small village community mm. and how it was constantly looking for opportunities to to serve the community and above all to be the gospel to be to bring people to uh, to a, a presence or an experience or an encounter with god mm. Mm. Um, and so from that it made me kind of just reflect on how good are we at that generally 
um, especially in churches, maybe that have got a bigger community around them and lots going on and mm. possibly a, a relatively good numbers already. How good are we are really uh, engaging with our community and making sure we're serving the community well? When I yeah. first went to um, Swayze in Cambridge, and I went to visit them before being called there, they were talking about wanting to get the community into the church, get people to church. Mm. And what we ended up doing really for the next 12 years was getting out into the community. Mm. That's how we, we grew that connection. Mm. We went out, we got involved with things, we did things to support the community. Mm. And as a consequence, people felt more connected to us, more part of what we were doing. And so they started to get involved in church life. And I think um, it's one of the things that I I thought then, and, and somebody had said this, uh, oh, during the previous ministry, it was very much about discipleship. It was about, we've got people here, we need to focus on growing them rather than reaching out. And, and I think what happens often in churches, they'll go through phases, possibly through different ministries, where the focus will be on that and, and the ministry will be very much about house groups and bible studies and discipling but at the cost or the neglect of the outreach the evangelism or the other way around the focus is on all the events and running sort of courses and getting involved in stuff but the focus in reaching out to new people means that you sort of don't do so much discipleship and of course, the the real challenge is to is to be doing both. Yeah, yeah. Find a way that you're blending both of those things. Talking recently to somebody about having done an alpha course in their church locally, and in a very short time, they were then helping run the alpha course. Mm. But they weren't get there was no other teaching that was really happening for mm. them. Mm. Um, it was I think we said this before. We've got them right. Now help us get some more people you know it's yeah. like we go fishing yeah. and we take the fish out the net and tell the fish to help us catch some more fish and yes yeah but yeah. so it was about how do we find that balance and part of it is to do with why why are we doing outreach and why are we doing discipleship what is our motive and the motive can often be driven by wrong things the numbers mm -hmm. getting the numbers or doing what everybody else seems to be doing you know, if everyone's doing the same, this this course, oh, we should do that. That's, that's a good thing to do. But actually, the, the most important thing is, is that our being church is about glorifying God. Yeah. That is our purpose. We can do purposes of church and all sorts of things, but we should be glorifying God by, by our evangelism and our discipleship at the same yeah. time. And I think I'm, I reflect on something similar in a couple of days' time, but it, it, it's finding that right balance, mm. getting involved for the right reason, mm. not just because we want to get more bums on seats, mm. but because we want them to know the, the amazing God. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that can happen is we can tell people about God, we can go out and we can do stuff in the community. But if what happens when people come along to our churches, they find out that 
we just gossip a lot about each other and there's there's arguments about things going on and we're not we're not any different to what's going on in the world mm -hmm. they don't want to really hang around yeah yeah it's a strange thing isn't it that um we can spend so long thinking about how we uh, market or present or sell church uh, that actually what we're meant to be doing as church suffers um and you are right in that you know what what we're uh, what we're here to be uh, is a um a sign and a symbol isn't it it's uh, we, we're uh, we're sort of little colonies of of heaven on earth i mean that's mm. the, that's the ultimate vision where freedom can be found and where healing and hope and transformation can happen um but that is usually not our expectation when we gather as church um and i i wonder sometimes if what we've done, I'm thinking particularly of my own sort of traditionary, the sort of the Baptist tradition, maybe true of others as well, I don't know, but um, is we've sort of gathered around a sermon. You know, there's been other bits and bobs that we've done, but they've been a little bit incidental really to the main event, which is the big weekly sort of preach mm. or, the, uh, or the twice weekly, whenever it is. Um, and we've we've reduced the truth about Jesus to a very rational, very intellectual, uh, in some cases quite academic uh, statement of, of who he is. I remember having a new Christian uh, come up to me a few years ago, and this is really where my... Um, where some of the early designs for what we now call the blessed uh, discipleship groups came from. Uh, and his question was, I love reading the book of Acts. You know, I love to see what they all got up to. When are we going to do that stuff? You know, when do we, and it, and it was really interesting, but it wasn't, it wasn't a pointed question. It was a very genuine one of, so when do we, <laughs> where and does we that happen? Like yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and actually, I think that hunger, no matter how long you've been a Christian, is, is not deep, beneath the surface you know it's there um but but the way in which the structures and the formality uh, and the expectation around what we do when we gather uh can lead to a very formulaic um a very controlled a very human um sort of church experience um because when you you know you were saying there earlier about connecting discipleship and evangelism um and the way in which the truth is that Jesus lived the way of the kingdom in a way that was incredibly attractive, incredibly appealing. Um, when he talks about life in all of its fullness, he's not talking about an abstract reality. You could mm. see it in him. Um, and, yeah, I wonder sometimes if um, what we settle for is talking about life in all of its fullness or analysing, now what does that really quite mean, rather than saying, what is stopping us from stepping into this fullness that Jesus has for us? Yeah, yeah and that, that passage in Acts that we, we will often bring out in, in Acts chapter 2 about how the, the early church, we use it mm. sometimes to beat our church up a little bit or whatever, I don't know, but... It, what's quite interesting is is the end of it. I'm just going to read it from the NIV. Mm. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Mm. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Mm. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Mm. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes 
and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Mm. Mm. And we, we, we read that, yeah. and then we sit down in our churches and say, what course can we do? Mm. What, what can we do to get people to come to church? How do we get people? What did that just say? Yeah. They did this, yeah. and as a consequence, the yeah. Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is how you get people to want to come you you do that you devote yourselves together you devote devote yourself to teaching to fellowship to breaking bread that's the answer and yet we can read that and hear it and then go off and think well if we do another course or we start yeah, this yeah. group or this club or this thing this is what makes people go wow have you met those people <laughs> not 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 like they do at the moment, where they go, wow, have you met those people? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think what's interesting as well is if you think, if you try and picture what a spirit-filled person or a spirit-filled church is like, uh, we get these images in our heads of, you know, I don't know, big spiritual gifting or, you know, all these kind of... But actually what the spirit produced in that church was a willingness, a radical willingness to share. Mm. Um, yeah, there's a passage a few chapters on, isn't there, where it says about they didn't consider their possessions their own. I mean, that uh, the, the work of the spirit there is so deep to yeah, yeah. detach us from our possessions that actually if somebody needs something, well, of course they can have it. It's not mine anyway, you know. Um that is actually a very different spirit-filled community than we often picture or value or aim at. Um, it's, a, it, it's a beautiful thing, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and it's born that sort of ability to have that uh, loose hold on stuff in life is born out of knowing people. Hmm. And so that, that passage in Acts, we're going to call Middle Acts 2, talks about being devoted to one another. Um, and and having everything in common, you get to know people. And often, I think what frees us up to be more generous with our stuff and our time and our money and our possessions is when we start to to know people and understand their particular poverty in a certain situation. Because mm. it's then that we, I think, we generally start to be a bit more generous. You know, we can look at. If you look at things like television um, uh, fundraising adverts for for charities that are working around the world, and things like um, you know Live Aid and stuff like that, what it did was it put real people in front of our eyes mm. and make us see somebody and names to things. Mm. A lot of charities that work with um, youngsters, children's work through church charities. You know, you can you can find somebody by name and a place and location. And as you start to know that person, it draws you to be more generous. Mm. Mm. But we don't even know the people in our church often. We don't know what their need is, sometimes because they hide it from us. Mm. But often because we're too busy, as you say, with practicalities and meetings and trying to work all the sort of nitty-gritty out, that we don't spend time in fellowship. Devoted to fellowship, breaking bread and prayer. Mm. You know, if we just did that, yeah, just did it. Yeah, what would it look like if every day in our church we just had a meal, 
every day and anybody could come you could sit and talk and chat and you know yeah yeah there's implications to it but what would it look like yeah if we don't try it Mm. we'll never find out yeah it uh, and i think you know, we may have mentioned this before, but what often holds us back from that uh, is the idea that it's going to be expensive or elaborate or difficult or, you know, some sort of logistical nightmare. But it doesn't have to be. Mm. You know, the, the the fact that it says here everyone shared what they had in common. Um, some of the best uh, chase lunches we've had is just bring and share. Yeah, I was going to say exactly the same. And some of the best expressions of a community together have been through those kinds of times mm. at the end of a service or something, or particularly through Easter, for example. Mm. And, and you just, everything else just gets stripped away. You get down to the basics of sitting around a table and eating and laughing and sharing with each other yeah. and just having enough time to say, so how's things going on at work? Mm. And someone feeling that, Actually, I can. I'll, I'll tell you, and yeah. they're fabulous times, and and yet we sort of hold them for special occasions. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. It. Um, I was thinking when you're talking about it, it's they they broke bread in each other's homes and ate together yeah. with glad and sincere hearts. Mm. Uh, there, there's something about letting somebody into your home, you know, the the, the sanctuary that you withdraw to, uh, where they can see how clean and tidy it is or isn't and they can see what dvds uh, well as was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but they can see they can see your stuff you know mm -hmm. you're letting them into that inner place uh, and there's a way to do that which is very presented and formal of course where actually uh, you're just showing people a very presented view of your home and yourself um, but if you did it regularly enough you couldn't do that eventually <laughs> the cracks would begin to show and um yeah it's... Yeah, it is hard. I in Swayze, I really had a policy that the back door was always open. Everybody that knew me knew they could just come in when they wanted, mm. and they did. And there is a price to pay for that. Yeah, you know, in that it, it can become sometimes you you've got something else you really want to do. But if you're gonna try and adopt that policy, you cook in a way that there's always enough in case somebody else turns up then if you know if you say that to people you've got to be able to do it yeah and and it does it, it you know if someone's i had i think of the 12 years that i was at swayze probably nine of them maybe 10 there was someone else living with us mm. who needed accommodation at the time mm. um and it, it was the right thing to do it was also really hard at times mm. but it didn't stop it being the right thing to do yeah um just because it's inconvenient doesn't mean it's wrong mm. but yeah the fellowship that goes beyond just the occasional sort of meal together yeah yeah the um i what you were saying there about um just because it's inconvenient i remember uh, reading a book um courage is calling by um ryan holiday and he quoted somebody in there i think it was some sort of famous army general i can't remember now uh, that said that actually that that time when he felt the nervousness rising up within him uh, were the times that he recognised he was doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. It was an indicator that this is really important that we get this yeah. right. And it's not something to run from because of that feeling. It's something to run towards. 
Um, and I really like that sort of analogy that you know you're doing the right thing when you're out of your depth, when you're nervous, yeah. when, when you're pushing. Yeah, and it's I think that you know sometimes we we sense that emotion that grows in us as a fear. When, when it's what it really is, is is an excitement that we might be getting close to doing what we ought to be doing. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a little bit scary and it means stepping. We we push it back down and we, oh no, uh, let's we'll let someone else deal with that. Yeah. Whatever it might be. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Who? That was uh, yeah. an interesting place to stop. It was very yeah. good. Is it um, is Hastings next? Hastings next, yeah. So this is the last day walking with Abigail. We were going to go to Hastings. We were meeting up with somebody as well. Um, and then Abigail would be heading off back up to Cambridge. So off to Hastings tomorrow. Right, I shall meet you there. Fabulous. Thank you, John. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Godcasts. Mm-hmm.